So, Heavenly Father, sometimes it just boggles my mind, the things that uh, go on in the world, the things that are full of grief, and at the same time, things that are full of joy, and that you, our Creator, are a God so transcendent, but also so present, that you rejoice with those rejoicing, and you mourn with those who are mourning. At the same time, I can't even wrap my mind around that, yet I know that it's true. Father, I pray again for those suffering in our community and those throughout our land. And I pray that in due time, you would turn people's mourning into dancing or into granny shuffles. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Before I even get actually started with my message, there's a couple of things that I just want to say. I hope that we are a community of people that are, among other things, thinkers. That listen before we speak. That try and gain perspective on things that are said. When it comes to the happenings of this week, I truly am grieved by a lot of things that I read online. I'm grieved, I'm also, I understand people's frustrations. I understand what people are getting at in many different positions, sometimes that even oppose one another. I understand people that say things like Black Lives Matter, because they do. I don't have any problem with that saying that phrase whatsoever. I per- and I'm not telling you you have to have the same attitude that I have, so don't hear me saying that. What I want you to do is think. I want you to think deeply. I also understand what people are getting at to some degree when they say all lives matter. They do. All lives matter. Again, there's a situ- there are situations, though, when some amongst the all are exploited greatly, and standing alongside them saying their lives matter means a, tr- means a tremendous amount. We have to do that. And so I just want to encourage you to think, to really think, to just not respond out of your, out of your gut or out of fear or out of anger, but think about what you're saying. Think about what you're thinking. Um, Challenge yourself. Take the things that are said before the cross that reveals wisdom to us and ask if it makes sense. So again, I'm not asking you to have the same opinion about everything that I might have. I don't even know sometimes what I think about some things. So surely you probably have better formed opinions about some things, but nonetheless... Think, think, think and pray. Try and seek to understand what people are getting at when they say what they say. Be compassionate with one another. Okay? Please? All right. So, we are getting our way somewhat through this series called Back to Galilee, where we are considering what Jesus did and taught in the light of the resurrection, working our way through Matthew. We are a ways into chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about acts and works of righteousness, which he, again, is not saying are some negative things. He wants us to do these particular three that he names. Give alms, pray, and fast. The three pillars of Jewish piety, as it is oftentimes put, which should also probably be three pillars of Christian piety. He wants us to do them, but he wants us to do them well and to safeguard us against how we can really go sideways with some of these things. We made our way halfway through the Lord's Prayer last week. And actually, I don't have it on the screen because somehow it disappeared within the midst of easy worship. Makes it not so easy. But I'd like us to recite it because I know many of you know it anyway. I would like to do that right now. So, our Father, who art...
Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus starts off talking about prayer. Don't be a babbler. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't put a mask on and act like you're talking to God and actually just be talking to a bunch of people that are hearing you. If you want to talk to God, talk to God. If you want to talk to people, talk to people. Don't try and bolster your credibility by being a really awesome prayer. Because prayer, as we talked about last week, is a lot like breathing. And people don't say, my goodness, that guy is a great breather. Don't be a babbler. Don't go on and on and on because you think you're going to be heard because you go on and on and on. not going to belabor those points anymore. But I want to add one thing that I did not mention last week. I don't think. And it's this. Jesus is not trying to show us some kind of formula for prayer. He's not trying to say, oh, if you do this and this and this, and you have, you know, two primary categories of prayer with three stanzas and requests in each one, your prayers will be answered, right? He's not creating a formula for us to follow, as if following it would somehow get what we wanted. That would be to turn prayer into something else than it's supposed to be. So, It's not a lot of things, and there are ways to not do it. But again, Jesus, praise God, follows the don't do it like this and don't be like that and don't be a babbler, don't be a hypocrite with do it like this. It doesn't leave us then in a vacuum. We talked last week then about, as we already recited today, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Yes, we've already covered those, but I have one more thing that I want to mention. Or a same point, maybe, that I want to reiterate. How many Star Trek fans do we have? Yeah. How many of you have watched Star Trek ever before in your life? Okay. <laughs> Most everybody. So, <clears throat> have you, you, you may have, uh, there's a little prayer that's said oftentimes in Star, in Star Trek. Yes? <laughs> there's a little prayer. It's not unto God, it's unto Scotty. Beat me up, Scotty. Right? A little, little prayer thrown in there every once in a while when people find themselves away from the Starship Enterprise and there's tragedy about to strike. Beat me up, Scotty. We've got to get back to the right spot so we can... I don't watch it, so I don't know that much about exactly how that works. Was that, that was what? It's never said beat me up. It's really close to that, though. It's just... Yeah, I know it's not quite grammatic. What is it? What is the precise... It's beam me up. Yeah, it's like beam me up, I think. It's not, Scotty isn't tacked on to the end, something like that. But the gist of the idea is certainly there. My point is this. <laughs> yeah, the point just all fell apart because it's not exactly the No. This is sometimes how people read the first three parts of our prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Many times how people just think about their faith in general. Lord God, I'm in desperate situations. Get me the heck out of here. Right? But in reality, what we need to understand God desires of us is to remain right in the situation that we are in and ask Him to come to us. Lord God, I'm desperate. Meet me in my desperation. Lord God, our world needs you. Come, we need it. Right? So we're not a bunch of Trekkies. We're a bunch of Jesuses or something like that. Kingdom people is really what we are. We're a bunch of kingdom people. All right. If you could take just that part away, in my estimation, from the first three petitions, that would be pretty awesome. I'd love that. Particularly, it would be nice, I suppose, too, if you understood that this prayer is, is, is speaking to our what should be in place desire to bring glory to God's name. That'd be good, too. All right, but let's move on to this second set of three petitions, which I guess you could say are part of what forms our understanding of how to live in the kingdom of God. This kingdom that we've just prayed for, desiring for it to come right into our midst, speaks to trusting God daily, speaks of 
being forgiven and forgiving and for desiring to be led. So it speaks to giving or receiving. It speaks to forgiving and to being led. Three primary needs that people have. We, we, we need to receive, right? We need to receive things like food, water. We need forgiveness. It's kind of the backbone of relationships. And we need to be led. So let's talk about this daily bread thing here for a second. Give us today our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to live with just enough. Give us today our daily bread. That encourages us to rely on God. We have to if we're going to ask just for daily bread. Because Jesus doesn't tell us to ask for, as I've said before, a week's bread, a month's bread, a year's bread, ten years' worth of bread, enough bread to retire on. (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny if that's what the Lord's Prayer... (laughs) Give us today enough bread to retire on. (laughs) Won't have to bug you anymore. God wants to be bugged. He wants us to ask Him. He's the good heavenly Father that wants a relationship with His children. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 9. I read this recently, and I don't remember in what exact context, but... And then he prayed, God, I am asking for two things. Before I die, don't refuse me. Banish lies from my lips and liars from my presence. You're going to be all by yourself, buddy. <laughs> anyway. Give me, this is really the second part. Give me enough food to live on. Neither too much nor too little. If I'm too full, I might get independent saying, God, who needs him? If I'm poor, I might steal and dishonor the name of my God. God wants us, and Jesus teaches us, to ask for daily bread, daily reliance on the God who has created us, daily reliance on the God who has redeemed us. He wants us to go back and ask for this every day. Give us today our daily bread. And keep in mind, this isn't give me mine. Give me my daily retirement. (laughs) Give me my food. This is give us our daily bread. One of the travesties of Western Christendom is the seeming individualism within it, where we really think of, as I talked about during communion, and we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, forgiveness is something we just think of solely as a personal thing. I'm an individual sinner who's going to individually repent and be individually forgiven. But there's something missing in that, and it's the us. In the same way, we are not supposed to just concern ourselves with our own needs of daily bread, but we are communally supposed to come together saying, Lord, give us today our daily bread. We can even go before God on behalf of our enemies. Feed them. Feed them, Lord. Show them that you love them. Teach them that you care about them. Daily bread is dangerous to our consumer culture. If you're in the reframe class, uh, we've talked about some of these things quite a bit already. But daily bread, praying for daily bread, Jesus telling us just to pray for daily bread is dangerous to a consumer culture. is subversive because it teaches us to not want more than what we need. It teaches us to be content with what we have. Consumer culture doesn't want to teach contentment. It wants to teach discontentment, uncontentment. Which one is it? Discontentment? Discontentment. I like that. It sounds better. It wants to teach us to not be satisfied with what we have. Imagine if you saw a TV car ad, like for Chevrolet or something, right? And the Chevrolet ad just said something really simple, like, we have some cars for sale if you really need one, but your car is probably just fine, so why don't you just drive it for a while still? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
okay, a Ford ad <laughs> or a Dodge ad. I mean, imagine that. You wouldn't sell very many cars, right? But Jesus is teaching us in this case to be content with what we have. Maybe we should simply pray when it relates to transportation. Lord, today help me to get where I need to go. As long as I'm getting there, I'm good. Teach me contentment, Lord Jesus. Teach me to be okay with what I have. It's tough. It's tough. I'm not going to try and say it's not. For me, it's tough. Jesus moves on to the next thing he teaches us to pray about and for. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or as some people pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive our sinners or still yet, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I remember when I was a kid, the neighbor, <laughs> I said, told, shared this story before, it's not, I don't know if it's funny or not, I think it's funny. <laughs> that one, yeah, 28. Story 28, you guys remember that one? <laughs> Well, I grew up with the forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we had, I had no context to understand what trespass meant, except for the neighbor had a sign up that said, trespassers will be shot. <laughs> yeah. I know. Do that still up? Oh, my goodness. I got to take a picture of it. It's still there? Yeah, no. That was a, that, they have one, too. I'm thinking of a different neighbor. <laughs> it's Rochester, Southern Thurston County. <laughs> you find those signs all over the place in Lewis County. <laughs> so, I mean, that was a little confusing when I was a kid, exactly what that meant. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So that means if I walk onto my neighbor's place, he will shoot me. But if I ask God for forgiveness, then maybe he won't. Something like that, right? Yeah. Or, as my little mind whirled around as I got a little bit older, <clears throat> okay, so forgive us our trespasses. I apparently trespassed against God, who wants to now shoot me. <laughs> and if I ask him for forgiveness, he won't. Which, interestingly enough, lines up with some forms of Calvinism fairly well. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God is a true redneck. <laughs> forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Oftentimes, Scripture uses the terminology of debt to talk about sin. The idea is that sin is something where we have done harm to another, and we have amassed a debt when we've done that. And the only way forward, though, is forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to live with imperfections. Our own imperfections and the imperfections of others. And when I say that, I'm not talking about complacency toward growth and transformation in our lives. I'm not saying that we should just be like, well, since God forgives us, I'm not really concerned that much with how bad my sin is, or how rebellious I am, or how much I don't want to honor God with my life. Yeah. But rather, we know that forgive, being forgiven and forgiving is bedrock stuff when it comes to seeking transformation. Because we can enter into the presence of God, stand before Him forgiven, and He heals us. He changes us. It's the way we deal with the rubbish in our lives. Forgive us our sins. Again, to a consumer culture that holds before us the image of perfection, this is a dangerous prayer. Maybe just we should say, I should say, a prayer that writes things. Because the culture around us wants to tell us that we can't be happy until we look like this person or live like that one. 
Each image is a lie. It's intended to create discontentment. It holds out an image that is impossible to attain. And at the end of the day, marketing strategists, while they are trying to sell you a car or makeup or clothes or a new phone, they do this by actually trying to appeal to what it is in you that you really do need. With the promise that the goods that they are peddling will bring it. Because what we really need are things like to be accepted, to find peace, to discover hope, to be loved, to truly embrace and somehow in the deepest part of us know that our existence matters, that we matter, that despite the fact that we just mess things up sometimes, no matter how hard we try, we still matter. Your life still matters, that you are cared about. But the thing is, is that a new car or new jeans or a new watch or a new phone, that can never bring that into your life. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, it isn't going to bring it. As a matter of fact, in some sense, those things may keep you from it. It may keep you from experiencing acceptance and peace and hope and love and a sense that you matter and that you are cared about. They don't automatically do that, but they could do that. Those things, like being accepted and finding peace and hope and love and a deep sense that your existence matters and that you're cared about, those things can only come to us as gifts. <laughs> Not quite that kind of gift, but... The things like acceptance and peace and hope and love and a sense that you matter are the things that can't come. Even through free sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> Even if those things are a gift... The gifts that we really want can't come through those things. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to track with this thought. I hope I can explain it some level of clarity. Let's take just acceptance for a second. That deep sense of acceptance cannot come through a new pair of jeans or a new phone or a new car or anything else. Because to feel accepted because you have them is to say that another is not accepted because they do not have them. You're valuing yourself over and against somebody else. So someone that went out and got themselves a new phone and think that they're super cool and find some acceptance for a moment will find that it is only for a moment. Because sooner or later the Dude, you showed it to, went out and got a better one. People feel that sense in that rat race to go out and get something better that they may feel accepted. In which case, all we can really do is run out and find something else to find acceptance, the feeling of acceptance to be found by for that short period of time. And that truly is a rat race truly is just a rat race. We must learn to accept one another by grace. We must learn to see that there is dignity inherent in the other that calls us to forgive. And that dignity is, as I quoted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, as Immanuel Kant put it, worth that has no substitute. Worth that has no substitute. You are of profoundly more worth than anything that you have. And that's true of everyone sitting in this room. It's true of 
every soul walking up and down the street of Centralia. It's true of every soul walking on the face of this earth. And God calls us because there is such great worth to forgive. The Lord's Prayer acknowledges human dignity that is beyond human imperfection and sin. Daily. The Lord's Prayer offers a pathway to forgiveness. Daily. The way of forgiveness cannot be bought, and you don't have to earn it. It's a gift. Grace. Grace subverts the ways of this world. We try and want to misplace our identity and misplace how we see others' identities. That is so beautiful. If you're able to grasp what I'm saying the way that I see it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We forgive people that come and ask us to be forgiven because we see that it matters. They're of utmost value beyond what we could ever even imagine. Forgiveness means reconciliation. At its best, it means reconciliation. We're going to return to that point in a moment. But first, Jesus, prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's times in this life when, I don't know if you feel this way, but I do, where it's like, I just don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I'm hoping that I'm getting it right. I I want to get it right. I'm bombarded with million and one decisions, it feels like. I mean, we have a lot of decisions to make in this world today. What am I going to do? What am I going to think? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to do for a job? So many things that we've got to try and figure out. And it's not that it hasn't always been that way. To some degree, we need leading. I think it's one of the deepest cries of our heart. Just lead us. Show us. Let us know where to go. Let us not get it wrong. an absolute element of that at play with what Jesus is asking us to pray for here, teaching us to pray for here. I think it goes, though, even a a level deeper. I think this petition is asking for help in times specifically of struggle, times when we're being tested, maybe, times of testing, that times that are hard, that we will not give in to temptations to sin. It's a prayer of asking God to help us stand during times of testing. When temptation comes our way, let us not succumb to the test. Do not let me fall prey to it. When things are tough, when sin is crouching at the door, desiring to devour us, Help us to overcome. The reality is that times of testing will come. Hard times will come in our lives when we'll be tempted to follow some way other than Jesus' way. Take some shortcuts. The reality is that We'll get it right sometimes and we'll get it wrong sometimes, but I believe that we get it right most times when we ask God to strengthen us and to help us in those times of struggle and those times of testing. Prayer is one that makes it clear that in order to stand, we need God. We need our Creator and our Redeemer. And it teaches us that Our God, our Creator, our Redeemer is willing to do that. 
He's willing to strengthen us. My goodness, if we're going to ask him, he's willing to give us the strength to overcome, the strength to wait on him, the strength to trust him. Peter the Apostle, as Jesus is talking about his need to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and died, wants to stop Jesus from such thinking and doing. And surprisingly, Jesus says to Peter, who seems to want to just protect Jesus' life, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. There was a way that they could have tried to protect Jesus' life, but it would have been a compromise. Peter later still even kind of tried it, right? (laughs) Drawing his sword and chopping off a soldier's ear. What are we going to do in times that are tough? Trust, be led by fear, or be led by faith. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer that asks us, asks us to ask God to help us when the way of Jesus seems so radically hard that it appears that we would utterly fail. But God gives us the strength to follow Him. His leading. So our common recited versions of the Lord's Prayer include the ending of, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And I like that ending. It's nice. Sounds really great. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's God's. It's God's kingdom. It's His power. It's His glory. And it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. Keep going. Keep singing that song. And again, that's a nice ending, and I like it, but not if it gets us off track from what actually follows. <laughs> what actually follows is an abrupt return to the topic of forgiveness. A really seemingly almost out-of-place return to the topic of forgiveness. Jesus ends instead with this. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Golly, Jesus, he had this nice prayer going. I was feeling it. The flow was going. Yeah, forgive. Yeah, the kingdom. Woohoo! What? Golly, man. Right? Every time I speak on forgiveness, I'm bombarded with questions and concerns. Every single time, and I'm not discouraging that, just naming it, it's true. Every single time I speak on forgiveness, I'm bombarded after the service or in the week to come or the month to come. And I'm good with that. Bombard me. Go ahead. That's what I'm here for, to be bombarded. (laughs) It's an interesting word, bombard. Bombard. Anyway. There are many things to do with forgiveness that make it hard. Forgiveness is hard. But it's essential to the Christian life. The essential nature and the difficulty is, I believe, why it gets so much treatment by Jesus and why He returns to the subject after teaching us how to pray. Probably because, and I'm not putting myself in Jesus' shoes, but probably because every time He talked on it, because it's so, such an issue to human nature that He was bombarded over and over and over again. As probably every preacher, every teacher, every pastor that brings the subject up that's approachable has had as an experience in their bringing it up. 
So I want to talk for just a minute on what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. I already mentioned this, but forgiveness is oftentimes talked about in the language of monetary debt. Forgiveness is freedom from debt. To forgive, be forgiven or to forgive is to say, if you're forgiving somebody, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. You've wronged me, but you don't owe me anything. We're good. Wiping it out. God forgives us at least in part because there are some debts that are so significant that there is no way we could ever repay them. We cannot, by doing good, make up for wrong. Because the good that we do to try and make up for the wrong is only the good we should have done in the first place. Right? You can never make up for that deficit. You can't, by doing what you some really great deed, be like, okay, God, that made up for the time that I you know, kicked Joe's dog or something worse. Because God says to us, well, goodness, I created you to do good deeds. Thanks for the good deed you did, but you should have done that. That's awesome. But the debt is still there. Would you like me to just forgive it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's do that that way then. In the same way, people who have hurt you cannot make up for the way they have wronged you. They can't. They can only seek your forgiveness and you can only forgive them. Think for a moment of the greatest wrong that a person has done to you. Just think on that for a second. So there are some things with that. There's, some, some, there's something probably that the person who has wronged you could do that would be nice, that would make you feel a little bit better about the situation. But there's nothing that they could do to really give you back what they've taken from you. There's something when somebody sins against us that's lost. Sometimes we talk about it as a loss of innocence. Something that's lost when somebody hurts us deeply and that makes us different. Nothing they could do would ever make that go away. The only thing we can do is forgive. free people from their debt. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You've probably heard people say before, forgive and forget. Sounds stupid to me. Forgive a debt. You don't owe me anything. But I'm not going to let you watch my kids anymore. Not to, Not you guys. <laughs> You guys can probably watch my kids the most of you anyway. <laughs> I haven't had anybody harm my children, but I've counseled an awful lot of people that have. And this is one of the places they struggle. I feel really bad because I'm supposed to forgive, but I can't forgive because I can't let go and just let them watch my children again. To which I respond, that's not what God is talking about. Well, they're related to each other in a sense, but yeah, absolutely. Just because you're going to free somebody from a debt doesn't mean you're going to let them do that very same thing again. I mean, in some situations, you might. Depends upon what the situation is and who the person is and where, where they're involved in the process. But forgiving isn't forgetting. I think that there's a sense in which God forgives and forgets, but not really. He forgets the debt, but he knows even what we've done. It's not like God has amnesia or something we ask him to forgive us. Oh, golly, I didn't even know you did that last week. Right? Like, no. God, God knows what we've done. He forgives us of the debt that we've assumed, 
by doing such things, but he knows it, and then he continues to work with it. Like, it would be as if you went to God and said, so I really want to work on that thing that I asked for forgiveness last week. And he's like, I don't know what that thing is. God does He knows. He knows the wrongs that we've done. But he releases us of the debt that we've assumed because of it. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go. In the same way that God forgives us but doesn't forget as if he doesn't know we did it, we should not forget while we forgive. We must remember appropriately and place proper boundaries in our lives. There's other struggles around forgiveness, and I'm not going to cover them all tonight. But a few more things that I do want to talk about. Forgiveness is about both the offender and the offended. In talking about forgiveness, we must consider both the offender and the offended. If you've been wronged, God calls us to forgive in order to free the person who has trespassed against us. Because whether they want to name it, most people know that there's something that they've done that's wrong. Sin has this way of fracturing our our soul, our self. And deep down inside, people know that there's something that they've done that's wrong, way down someplace in there. Now, there's probably some people that have some psychological disorders that don't ever quite get it. But that's not most people. Most people, when they have sinned against somebody and hurt them, they have something deep down inside of them that's fractured their soul, where they know that they've done it wrong, but they can't quite come to grips with it, to reconcile it, to work it out. And if we can forgive as people start to work through this process of wanting to be forgiven, we are freeing them from that debt. And many of you have found much liberation in your lives by freeing somebody of the debt that they owe you. And so powerfully, we cannot take out of the equation the offender. First and foremost, I think we have to talk about the offender. However, there's something powerful that happens in us as we let go. Because of the fact that somebody cannot give you back what they've taken from you, Trying to get it your whole life will only leave you in great frustration. As a good friend and pastor friend of mine used to say, not forgiving somebody allows them to continually eat your lunch. And they don't even know it. Actually, you're like giving it to them. Most people that have, many people that have harmed us, that have not come forward to begin with for repent, for, to repent, to actually receive the forgiveness that you want to offer them, they go about their lives and it's not affecting them at all. Not in a way that comes out, that impacts their daily life. But for those who have been wronged, it hurts deeply. And the best thing we can do is learn to let go. To let go. To say, that person doesn't owe me anything. Significantly part of that is because the fact that they haven't got the resources to pay the debt that they owe me. So I'm going to let it go. It's not a song. Let it go. (laughs) No, I'm not going to. Don't worry. I'm not going to. Letting go. That's the only way forward. Sometimes uh, one of the things I see kind of habitually is that people find their identity wrapped up in the way people have hurt them. It's, I suppose, what a person could call a victim mentality. Where somebody wants to 
talk about how somebody has hurt them and constantly blame others for how their lives have turned out. And for sure, there's an aspect of reality to that. There are people that have hurt us in our lives and have impacted the way our lives have gone. But to constantly look back and hold on to those things and to not take ownership of where one's life is going is to forever let that past experience control your life. There comes a time when we all have to take ownership of our lives. And there's the last point that's related to this that I want to consider. There's another problem that people have when it comes to forgiving and learning to not let past experiences of hurt control you. While some people want to continually blame others and not take ownership for their lives, others want to blame themselves over and over and over again and take too much ownership of the wrong that's been done to them. That too can keep people down. It goes something like this. Well, um, they did something really horrible to me, but you know what? I probably just shouldn't have put myself in that situation, and it's partly my fault. Or, as oftentimes you hear from abused people, well, it's really my fault that they beat me up every week, or every time I didn't get home on time, or every time they didn't like dinner. It's as if because of the fact that we are all sinners, some people don't want to say, yeah, but they wronged me. They do owe me something. But I am going to forgive them still. I recognize this in myself sometimes. I recognize that there's times in my own life when I try and take too much ownership for the wrongs that have been done to me when people have hurt me. I should have done something different. And I never come to a place of being able to recognize that person has wronged me and they do need to be forgiven. And it's okay to say they've wronged me and I'm going to forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't play around. Forgiveness doesn't pretend as if there aren't people that do things wrong that really hurt us. Forgiveness says, yeah, people have really hurt us and done bad things to us, and we are going to absolve them from that debt nonetheless. We're going to let go. Of course, the hardest part for us to swallow about all of this is the connection between what God does and what we do. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what we do. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we pray, Father, forgive us. And He then asks us, for their sake and for our sake, to forgive. We can't get forgiveness from God without also forgiving others. If we just utterly refuse to do our part, we'll find ourselves cut off from what we want God to do in us. And I get, it's a journey, it's a process. Experiencing God's forgiveness and granting forgiveness, it's a process, it's a journey. But just as we ask God to meet us in being led, He meets us in the ability to forgive. He wants freedom for you. He wants every single person in this room to find freedom from the unforgiveness that holds us, for the debts that we want to collect on that could never be collected. He wants to absolve you of those. He wants you to find freedom from those things. And it's hard, I get it. I've already said that 25 times, but trust that God can help you come to the place of being able to let go. Trust Him. Ask Him to help you. Let Him know how you feel. 
Golly, I was riding my bike down the road the other day, and I was dealing with this on, my, on a personal level. And I realized that I've got unforgiveness in my heart for somebody. And what, you know the journey I had to go through? <clears throat> Holly, I was talking to her about this earlier, who's over with the kids. I just, I just, man, I was, you know, I was a potty mouth. <laughs> I was mad. I was mad and I was angry and I fell in that time. Into the, it was when I was writing the part of the sermon talking about naming that people have wronged us. I realized in that situation I had never really come to grips with the fact that the person really had wronged me. And in that moment I'm riding my bike down the road and I just I let God have it. I let the person have it. <laughs> and I just found freedom. I found freedom I found freedom to love God. I found freedom to love the person that had hurt me. God met me in that moment. And He'll meet you in those moments. And I'm not saying it's going to be a one-point thing. Sometimes it's day after day. Give us today our daily forgiveness. And teach us to forgive those daily who have wronged us. All right. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You that You are full of grace, that You are merciful to us, that You're kind to us, that You're gentle with us, that You walk with us, that You lead, and that You guide us. You teach us so many things, including how to pray, how to talk to You. It doesn't seem like something we'd necessarily need to be taught to do, but still, here we are. We need to be taught how to talk to You. So Father, praise You that You are the one who is willing to teach us the one who is willing to go with us and to journey with us, to lead us, to walk with us in the times of greatest struggle in our lives, to, 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 to show us, Lord Jesus, that you are with us in our suffering, that we can trust you, that we don't need to be led by fear. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I just ask for those who are struggling either to forgive or to receive and experience forgiveness can't make people that have hurt us come and apologize and we don't need to wait around for that father thank you that you forgive us and that you through forgiving us and through others for uh, us forgiving others and receiving others forgiveness that you restore so many things to our lives and so many things in our community and i i pray that uh father that the forgiveness and restoration would be what rests on our nation. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, in due time, learn to forgive. Praise you. Love you.